Where is the United States in Bible prophecy? And do the prophetic scriptures give us any hope for our nation today? Stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. At our annual Bible conference in 2018, I made a presentation titled, America's Destiny, and I began it by searching for our nation in Bible prophecy. Here now is an excerpt from that presentation. Well, I know that if I don't show you a few church signs, I will get lynched. So, uh, uh, one of my newest is this one. Blah, 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 just come to church. (laughs) This next one's very interesting. What happens in Vegas is forgiven here. Here's one of those churches, you know, my favorite category is churches with really weird names. Well, here's one that's really weird. The Hurricane First Church of the Nazarene. But I love what they have on their sign. Jesus is more precious than silver or golf. (laughs) There may be some people who would argue with that, but uh, this next one is just out of this world. Cremation is your last chance for a smoking hot body. (laughs) Folks, I do not write these, I just read them. The last four signs I'm going to show you are enough to make you weep. They're very, very sad. And the reason I'm showing them to you is because they relate to what I'm going to be talking about today, about the apostasy of the church in America. For example, here's one from a Lutheran church. Everything Jesus said about homosexuality, see the other side. Blank. Or how about this Methodist church sign? It says, humans are one family, so make peace with your family, Quran 49.10. The next one is so blasphemous that I really hesitate to show it. But it has to be shown to show you what condition the church is in today. I can't imagine people calling themselves Christians putting up a sign like this. This is an Anglican church here in America. It reads, Jesus had two dads and he turned out fine. And then the last one from a Unitarian Universalist church. If you know anything about that church, this sign won't shock you. But here it is. Bible study, 7 p.m., bring your Bible and scissors. Well, I want to talk to you about America's destiny. America's destiny. And I'd like to begin with two foundational scriptures. The first is Psalm 33, 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, or in Hebrew, whose God is Yahweh. And then... Proverbs 14.34, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Ever since I began holding Bible prophecy conferences 38 years ago, the number one question that has always been asked 
when we would open it up to questions is, where is the United States in Bible prophecy? The horrific events of September the 11th, 2001 intensified the importance and the frequency of this question, and that is certainly understandable. The Bible is full of prophecies about nations. Nearly all the Hebrew prophets spoke about Israel or Judah or both, and many of their prophecies concerned the city of Jerusalem. Daniel focused on world empires, and in the process he wrote history in advance better than most historians have after the facts. Daniel and many other prophets spoke about what the configuration of nations would be in the end times before the return of Jesus. They told us that there would be a resurrection of the Roman Empire in Europe. They told us that there would be the reestablishment of the State of Israel. They told us that Israel would be besieged by surrounding Arab armies. They mentioned that Israel would be menaced by Russia and its allies in the north. And nations in the Far East would be capable of sending an army of 200 million men against the Middle East. So, where is the United States in Bible prophecy? How could the prophets have overlooked our nation? And what makes this question even more perplexing is that the signs of the times indicate that we're living right on the threshold of the tribulation and we are the world's dominant superpower. So, how in the world could the Bible fail to mention us? The search for the United States in Bible prophecy has been extensive, it has been intensive, it has also been very imaginative. In the 19th century, one of the most favorite locations for the U.S. in Bible prophecy among Bible prophecy scholars was Isaiah chapter 18, where it mentions a tall, smooth-skinned people who are feared far and wide, a powerful nation whose land is divided by waters. Entire books were written on this. But the problem with applying Isaiah 18 to the United States is that the chapter begins by specifically saying it's talking about Cush. It identifies the nation it's talking about. And Cush is the modern day nation of Sudan located in north northern part of Africa. And the, the, the river it's talking about, of course, is the Nile River that runs right through the middle of Sudan. During the 20th century, the most popular place to find our nation in prophecy shifted to Ezekiel 38 and 39, where it says that there's going to be an end time battle called Gog and Magog. And it says this is going to be a massive invasion of Israel by Israel and certain allies, all of which today are Muslim nations. Ezekiel 38, 13 states that when the Russian invasion of Israel occurs in the end times, quote, the merchants of Tarshish with all its villages will speak out against the invasion. They won't do anything about it, they just speak out about it. Tarshish was identified as Britain, and the villages were identified as Britain's English-speaking colonies, and that of course meant the United States of America. However, later in the century, the identification of Tarshish shifted to Spain. And to compensate for this, the advocates of this theory simply pointed out, where did Columbus come from? Spain. Therefore, we're not really a village of Britain, we're a village of Spain. <laughs> I think you can begin to see how desperate people are to find the United States in Bible prophecy. Actually, the latest anthropological and metallurgical scientific evidence points rather conclusively to the fact that Tarshish was the ancient island of Sardinia, this second largest island in the Mediterranean only after Sicily. And I don't think anybody's going to be so bold now as to claim that we are one of the young villages of Sardinia. 
This brings us to what I consider to be the most imaginative and the silliest identification of the, our nation in Bible prophecy. It's found in Revelation 12, 13. It states that when the Antichrist attempts to annihilate the Jews in the second half of the tribulation, the Jews and Israel will flee on the wings of a great eagle. Now, entire books have been written about this. Believe it or not, some people have seized on this imagery to teach that the United States, whose national symbol is the eagle, will supply the end time airlift of the Jews out of Israel. But folks, the Bible is its own best interpreter. And when you look up the phrase wings of eagles, which is always the way you do this, you see where this is used elsewhere in the Bible, you will find that it is the same phrase that God used in Exodus 19.4 to describe how He brought the Israelites out of Egypt. Here's what it says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you myself. They weren't flown out of Egypt on an airplane. And the same imagery is used in Deuteronomy 32.11 where it says, Like an eagle that stirs up its nest that hovers over its young, he, the Lord, spread his wings and caught them and carried them on his pinions, speaking of their wandering in the wilderness. In Revelation 12, God is the eagle. It's not the United States of America. What the passage in Revelation 12 is saying is that God is going to supernaturally protect the Jewish people when they flee from the Antichrist into Jordan during the last half of the tribulation. This brings us to what is today's most popular place for identifying the United States in Bible prophecy. This is now the number one place. It is found in Revelation chapter 18, which speaks of a great empire dominating the world in the end times called Babylon the Great that will be destroyed by God in one hour of one day. Now, there is no doubt, as this book claims, there is no doubt that the United States has many similarities with this corrupt commercial empire described in Revelation 18. The empire described as one in rebellion against God to the point that it has become a dwelling place of demons. It further states that the immorality of this empire has corrupted all the nations of the world. It also is made clear that this Babylon the Great will completely dominate the world economy and its destruction will result in the collapse of the economies of all nations and this will cause the kings, merchants and shipmasters to weep and lament and cry out, woe, woe, woe. In the present international context it certainly sounds like the United States. But again the Bible is its own best interpreter. And chapter 17 of Revelation makes it clear that Babylon the Great in the end time is going to be the end time world empire of the Antichrist centered in Rome and not in Washington D.C. Yes, this is going to be a world empire, not just a local empire like ours, but a world empire. And you can believe that when it collapses the whole world, economies will collapse. Many Bible prophecies have prefillment in symbolic type before they are ultimately fulfilled in reality. And the destruction of the United States, whether internally or externally, and the impact of that destruction on the world could certainly constitute a symbolic prefillment of Revelation 18. But the true fulfillment will have to await the annihilation of the world empire of the Antichrist. So, my conclusion is that the United States is not specifically mentioned in Bible prophecy. We're covered by general prophecies that relate to all nations, but beyond those our end time destiny is not specifically mentioned. But this conclusion raises more questions than it answers. Why aren't we mentioned? How could the Bible be silent about us?
Well, there are several possible scenarios to explain our absence from end time Bible prophecy. For example, one would be an internal terrorist attacks. Because of our freedoms, because of our open borders, we are a sitting duck for terrorist attacks that could fatally disrupt our society. Such attacks could take various forms, biological, chemical, electronic. They could even take the form of suitcase nuclear dirty bombs. It is almost impossible to protect a society from suicide terrorists who are willing to sacrifice themselves for their cause. Another possible scenario would be an external nuclear attack. This could either be a direct hit or more probably an indirect one in the form of an electronic, electromagnetic pulse explosion in the atmosphere above our nation which would invalidate our electric grid. Or perhaps internal moral rot like the Roman Empire, a third possibility. Internal collapse due to moral rot which could lead to the breakdown of law and order resulting in widespread violence like we're seeing across the United States today. A fourth possibility would be an economic collapse due to the astronomical national debt we have so recklessly built up over the past few decades now totaling $21 trillion. That's a classic exponential curve. In the first edition of my book about the U.S. and Bible prophecy published in 2003, I wrote, the first thing that comes to mind is an economic uh, catastrophe that will result from our out of control debt situation. There is no way to escape the conclusion that America has become a debt junkie. And then I concluded, I believe an unprecedented economic collapse is highly likely because money is the real God of America. And the true God of this universe is a jealous one who does not tolerate idolatry. God by His very nature is going to be compelled to destroy our false God. There is a fifth scenario that could explain our nation's absence in end time Bible prophecy and it's the one I prefer and the one I pray for. I'm thinking of course of the rapture of the church. Even though we have become a secular nation we still have many true Christians, many of which are in very powerful positions of government, industry, and military. The rapture would produce mass chaos in our nation, more so than any other nation on the earth, on an unprecedented scale. It would undoubtedly result in martial law. Probably the only way we could survive is to reach out to Europe and ask to be included in the European Union. So, once again, my conclusion is that the United States is not specifically mentioned in end time Bible prophecy, but we are there. We are there in prophetic type, in prophetic symbolism. Now, before I reveal our prophetic type, I want to take a moment to explain to you what I mean when I talk about a prophetic symbol or a prophetic type. So, let's just look at that for a moment. A prophetic type is a symbol of a prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled. It prefigures a coming reality. It can be a person, it can be an event, it can be a ceremony, it can be an inanimate object. For example, the Greek tyrant Antiochus Epiphanes was a prophetic type of the Antichrist who will appear on the world scene in the end times. The Old Testament sacrificial system pointed prophetically as a prophetic type to the finality of the cross. Every aspect of the Ark of the Covenant was a prophecy about the Messiah. It was made of wood, 
saying the Messiah would be human. It was covered over with gold, saying the Messiah would be divine. It had three objects inside of it. It had the uh, it had the uh, pot of manna indicating the Messiah would be the bread of life. It had the tablets of Moses indicating that the Messiah would perfectly obey the law of God. It had Aaron's rod that budded that indicated the Messiah would be resurrected from the dead. And once a year the high priest went in and sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat to indicate that it would be through the death of the Messiah that the grace of God would cover the law of God. One of the most significant prophetic types in all the Bible is found in the scriptures concerning Joseph, whose life from beginning to end was a prophetic type of the Messiah to come. Think about it for a moment. His life began when he went to his brethren with a message from God. Just as Jesus came to his brethren, the Jewish people, with a message from God. Joseph was rejected, Jesus was rejected. His brothers threw him in a pit to kill him, just as Jesus was literally killed. He was saved from the pit, taken up, and given new life, just as the Messiah was literally resurrected from the dead. Joseph went to a far country where he took a Gentile bride, just as the risen Messiah departed for heaven, where he is currently taking a Gentile bride, the church. Ultimately, Joseph serving as Prince of Egypt, revealed Himself to His brethren, and they accepted Him, just as Jesus will one day reveal Himself to His Jewish brethren at His second coming when He returns as the King of kings and Lord of lords, and they will receive Him as their Messiah. Now, I believe America's prophetic type is the ancient nation of Judah. You will remember that after the death of Solomon, the kingdom of David and Solomon split into two parts. Northern nation of Israel, southern nation of Judah. The northern nation of Israel was apostate from the moment it was founded. It was founded in rebellion against God and it continued in that condition for 208 years. It was finally conquered by the Assyrians in 722 BC. During its lifetime, the nation had 19 kings and not a single one, not one, was considered righteous in the eyes of God. The southern nation of Judah lasted 136 years longer for a total of 344 years. Eight of its 20 kings were considered righteous by the Lord. Now, I want you to consider the parallels between Judah and our nation. The people of Judah were given great leaders like Hezekiah, Jehoshaphat, Josiah, just as we have been blessed in our country with great leaders like Washington and Lincoln, the Roosevelts and Reagan. They enjoyed a great freedom unparalleled in that time. And we have also enjoyed tremendous freedom. They were granted great prosperity by God, just as we have been. And they were favored with abundant spiritual blessings, just as we have been. Think of it. The Shekinah glory of God resided in their temple in Jerusalem. And we have been blessed as a nation by God using our nation to proclaim the gospel all over the world. I wish I could stop there with this list of positive traits, positive parallels, but I cannot. That's because we share some of the negative characteristics of Judah as well. One is pride. Judah became proud of its blessings, and people deceived themselves into thinking that they were ones responsible for their blessings. They forgot about the one who had truly responsible, just as we have in this nation. Another negative parallel is rebellion. As Judah distanced itself from God, it began to rebel against His Word, just as we are now in the process of doing the same thing in this country. The result for Judah was the destruction of their nation by the Babylonians 
in 586 B.C. But before God poured out His wrath on the nation, He patiently, patiently called them to repentance and warned them of impending judgment. He did that in two ways. He did it first through prophetic voices, and secondly, through remedial judgments. Let's consider the prophetic voices first. In about 740 B.C., God anointed a sophisticated and erudite man named Isaiah to be prophet to Judah. And the first thing God asked him to do was to go out and conduct a spiritual inventory of the land. God knew the sins of the land. He wanted Isaiah to know them. Isaiah's subsequent report was startling and it was breathtaking. It clearly revealed that the people whom God had so richly blessed had turned their back on Him and His Word. And since these are the sins that motivated God to destroy that nation that He loved so much, the city and also the temple where He resided, because these are the sins that resulted in that, we should pay close attention to what they were, because these are the sins that bring the wrath of God. Isaiah's report begins in Isaiah chapter 5, and he begins in verse 7 with the first sin, the sin of injustice. Here's how he put it. He, God, expected a crop of justice, but instead he found oppression. He expected to find righteousness, but instead he heard cries of violence. He next mentioned greed, and here's how he put it. You buy up property so others have no place to live. Your homes are built on great estates so you can be alone in the midst of the earth. The next sin he discovered was pleasure-seeking. He said, they furnish wine and lovely music at their grand parties, lyre and harp, tambourine and flute, but they never think about the Lord or notice what He is doing. The fourth sin was blasphemy. What a description he has here of that. They even mock the Holy One of Israel and dare the Lord to punish them. They say, hurry up, punish us, O Lord, they say. We want to see what you can do. Next, Isaiah pointed to the shocking sin of moral perversion, perhaps the worst of these sins. Here's what he said. They say that what is right is wrong, and what is wrong is right. That black is white, and white is black, bitter is sweet, and sweet is bitter. Isaiah lamented the sin of intellectual pride. He said, woe to those who are wise and shrewd in their own eyes. And next he identified the sin of intemperance. He wrote, Woe to those who are heroes when it comes to drinking and boast about the liquor that they can hold. The final sin he identified was political corruption. He said, They take bribes to pervert, uh, to pervert justice, letting the wicked go free, and putting innocent men in jail. Isaiah concluded his list of summary sins by identifying the fundamental reason for all of these sins. The fundamental reason. And here it is. He said, they have thrown away the laws of God and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. That was the result of all the sins. And so, the eight sins of Judah that Isaiah reported were injustice, greed, pleasure-seeking, blasphemy, moral perversion, intellectual pride, intemperance, and political corruption. All of which, he asserted, were produced by contempt for the word of God. Isaiah also reported that all his calls to repentance were met with scoffing and with frivolity. Here's how he worded it. He said, The Lord God called you, speaking to Judah, to repent, to weep and mourn, to shave your heads in sorrow for your sins, and to wear claws made of sackcloth to show your remorse. But instead, you sing and you dance and you play and feast and drink, and you say, Let us eat and drink and be merry. You say, What's the difference? Because tomorrow we're going to die. 
Isaiah responded to this crass indifference with a strong warning. God will send a signal to the nations far away, whistling to those at the ends of the earth. They will come racing toward Jerusalem. Their arrows are sharp. Their bows are bent. Sparks will fly from their horses' hooves. The wheels of their chariots will spin like the wind. They roar like lions and pounce upon the prey. They seize my people and carry them off into captivity with none to rescue them. Sixty years later, God called a young priest named Jeremiah to do the same thing that he had requested of Isaiah. He told him to go out and do a spiritual inventory of the sins of Judah. And when he reported back to God, he listed the same sins as Isaiah, but he added three. Three that Isaiah did not mention. The first was immorality. This, of course, had been hinted at in Isaiah's accusation of moral perversion, but Jeremiah got specific. He said, he declared that God had fed his people until they were full, but they thanked God by committing adultery and lining up at the brothels. They are well-fed, lusty stallions, each neighing for his neighbor's wife. Then he mentioned the problem of religious corruption, a horrible sin. He said, a horrible and shocking thing has happened in this land. The prophets give false prophecies and the priests rule with an iron hand. Worse yet, my people like it that way. And finally he mentioned closed minds. He said, he declared the people do not listen when God speaks. Their ears are closed. They cannot hear. They scorn the Word of God. They won't listen at all. And then Jeremiah concluded his list with three fundamental Shocking summaries. Think about America today. Their faces are harder than rock. They have a stubborn and rebellious heart. Hearts full of rebellion. And finally, they do not know how to blush. That's where we are, folks. Next week, the Lord willing, I will share with you the second half of this presentation when I draw my conclusions about the destiny of our nation. Specifically, I will consider whether our nation can look forward to renewed greatness or whether it will be continuing judgment and ultimate destruction. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. A complete copy of the presentation you have just viewed is contained in our 2018 conference video album, together with the other five presentations that were made at the conference. They're provided on three DVD discs. Each presentation runs approximately 50 minutes in length for a total of 300 minutes of video footage. Along with Dr. David Reagan's presentation, the speakers include Robert Jeffress, pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. He speaks on heavenly rewards, telling about the importance of the rewards, the types of rewards, and the basis for them. Billy Crone, pastor of Sunrise Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada, and founder of Get a Life Ministries. He speaks about the hope for a last day's revival. In the process, he presents a powerful challenge to the church to arise from its lethargy and start proclaiming the gospel with boldness. Jan Markell, founder of Olive Tree Ministries in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and host of the nationally syndicated radio program, Understanding the Times. She gives a shocking presentation about the mockery of Bible prophecy that exists within the church today. Bill Koenig, member of the White House Press Corps and founder of the internet news service called World Watch Daily. He presents an insightful overview of national and world events from a biblical perspective. And Jonathan Kahn, best-selling author and rabbi of a Messianic congregation in Wayne, New Jersey. 
He reveals a biblical blueprint for what is happening in our nation today as it shakes its collective fist at God. The album could be yours for a gift of $25 or more, including the cost of shipping. Just call the number you see on the screen Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central Time, or place your order through our website at lamblion.com. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 